Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher bar karbanu mikol hamim, Venatan lanu et torato. Baruch atah Adonai, Noten haTorah. Amen. Baruch abav Hashem Adonai. May we all be inscribed and sealed in the book of life and for a good year. Amen. Well, on Shabbat, I told you we had about 10 days to get ready for Rosh Hashanah. Well, time's ticking. So uh, at the beginning of Yom Shani of the following week from this podcast, which corresponds to the evening of September the 29th, i.e. Erev Rosh Hashanah, we will be entering into 5780. Bezrat may it be with the coming of Mashiach, Ben David, and the final redemption. Or shall we say the return? Because when you say Yavo Be'irit, it is to come or return. So the answer is yes. So as we're preparing for Rosh Hashanah, we are in Parsha Nitzavim. And this week is all about Rosh Hashanah. It's all about renewing the covenant and things like that. So if you are not aware of this little known podcast and YouTube live called An Aliyah Day by Rabbi Griffin, a.k.a. Captain Yisrael, then you should probably check it out because it's a beautiful starter kit to make sure that you're ready to go. So, with that being said, this is the Rosh Hashanah GT, and here we go. So, Rosh Hashanah has, like, so many different names. So, what I want to do is, before I even get into my notes, I just want to open up the Makzor. It's the special prayer siddur for, the special siddur, I should say, for Rosh Hashanah. So I want to begin with what's quoted in the preface. Uh, this is from Rosh Hashanah 16a and 34b from Tamud Babli. It says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, On Rosh Hashanah recite before me verses that speak of God's sovereignty, remembrance of all events, and shofar bless. Sovereignty so that you should make me your king, remembrance so that your remembrance should rise up before me for your benefit. And through what? Through the shofar. So again, that's Rosh Hashanah 16a with a little bit of 34b. And I love the fact that it brings up remembrance because another name for Rosh Hashanah can be Yom Hazikaron, which I know we have the walk of remembrance to... Um, observe the remembrance of the Holocaust. And, you know, this is another interesting point to make that, you know, times of hardship, times of pain and times of the past, present and future and things like that. It's all encapsulated in remembrance. And why do I say past, present and future? Because we have to remember that ultimately when uh, the ultimate Rosh Hashanah happens where it's the day of judgment, you know, the resurrection from the dead and us go before the throne of Hashem's judgment, you know, like for real, like not just here on Ha'aretz, but literally in his presence fully. That it's about the Zikaron, it's about the remembrance. So, 
you know, crying out like a shofar, causing Hashem to be king over your life and bringing up remembrance of things. And I mentioned on Shabbat that when you go through hardships and pains, that those aren't an end of themselves. You should have those in your heart to pour out before Hashem in tears, pour out into Shuva, pour out in blessing and praising his name and crowning him as king of your life. And so, you know, it's a beautiful opportunity that we have to to really reflect what has hurt us, what has been so crushing to our hearts and to our souls. And now is the time to bring that out, to use that in our prayers to Hashem. This is why if you tie this to Rabbi Griffin's Rosh Hashanah teaching that he just released on YouTube uh, last week, that you know, this is the time that we actually embody the cry of a shofar, that when we blast a shofar, it, it's it's like the, the groanings that only the Ruach HaKodesh can translate and, and give and transmit to Hashem. And so I just want to encourage us that to bring up remembrance of, you know, past experiences past events and and past hurts and pains that we've been through and let's use those tears to fuel our shuva to fuel our our crying out to hashem to fuel our asking hashem for favorable judgment and mercy and you know baruch hashem so the day of remembrance you know another way to look at rosh hashanah and it's all about the intercession of the shofar so one of the things that the overview goes into is about man making the difference. It says the effects of Jewish virtue go far beyond this. It says for it is for it has spiritual liberations that are beyond man's ability to fathom. So the effects of Jewish virtue it has spiritual Rever, reverberations, or reverberations, Slika, wow. Spiritual reverberations that are beyond man's ability to fathom. So this is why there are lots of things that we Jews do that seemingly make no sense. But we do them and they are far beyond what we can fathom. Little things like dipping our challah in salt. Important note that on Rosh Hashanah, we're going to be dipping our challah in honey. So this is like the one time of the year that after you say the bracha over the hamotzi, over the challah, instead of dipping it three times in salt, you will actually dip it three times in honey and then partake of it. And the rest of the year, we make sure before we, because I'm a honey all the time guy, because I need all the sweetness I can get, right? You know, like sweeten my judgments, Hashem, please. Um, you know, but... It's like every every other time when we're having honey throughout the, or salt throughout the year that, you know, we are dipping our challah in the salt first and then partaking of it. And then we can go and proceed to add butter and honey and all that wonderfulness. So guaranteed to convert you right there for a show. But anyway, um, it's just it's a really beautiful thing on Rosh Hashanah to do that. So just little things like that. There are all these different virtues that. Uh, go beyond our ability to fathom. So uh, 
you know, being our brother's keeper and things like that. You know, there are so many just different things that we do. So it says the Torah teaches that in Noah, in Noah's time, all humanity except for Noah and his family became morally and ethically corrupt. Okay, everybody but Noah and his family. Okay, just want to point out Noah is a semblance of grace and law. Why grace and law? Because Noah and his sons studied Torah. This is why when Abraham came on the scene, he went to the tent of Shem and Ever to learn Torah. So the whole Noahide thing is kind of interesting to think about when really Noah and his sons transmitted the Torah. So just say lie on that for a moment, because if Noahides didn't teach Torah like the sons of Noah, keeping the laws of the sons of Noah, which is what Noahides is all about. It's kind of like, well, Shem was a teacher of Torah and Shem's grandson ever was a teacher of Torah. So and Abraham learned from them and Noah is the one who taught them. So Yafet was to dwell in the tents of Shem and then Ham really ixnayed himself from the picture like he 86 himself because he was kind of like wanting to do his own thing so if you want to be a true noahide and not follow what noah taught which is crazy to say then you would be a hamite which would be like an egyptian i.e a pagan and idolater unless you convert but i digress so the thing is, is I wanted to drive home that those of us who walk in the grace of Hashem and uphold the law of Hashem, i.e. we have the confession of Yeshua HaMashiach and we uphold the mitzvot, that this is Noah's family. And they were the only ones who were morally and ethically not corrupt, while the rest of the world became morally and ethically corrupt. So I just think that's very interesting because with us being in the final moments before the final redemption, that it seems like uh, everything is kind of going crazy and haywire. And where is the morality standard and where is the ethical standard? And it's just kind of like and it's a small group of people who are really doing things. So I'm willing to guess that there is just a little bit more than Noah and his family that are keeping uh, the confession of Mashiach and upholding the Torah. So, you know, that's a plus. That's good. Anyway, I continue. It says it began with the private denial of God in the form of covert idolatry that later became public. It spread to thievery and violence of all sorts, reaching a level of decadence that in a way was best expressed by cunningly taking even insignificant amounts of property in such ways that money could not be recovered in the courts. Sexual debauchery and perversion became the norm. It's interesting that Shaul Hashliach teaches in one of his letters uh, to Galatia that we are to be not people of debauchery, but being people filled with the spirit. And if you're filled with the spirit, that means you're filled with the Torah, which would mean you're filled with Yeshua because Yeshua is the end game of the Torah. 
He's the culmination of it. So, you know, I think that's very interesting that if you look at what was going on outside of Noah's people, his household outside of Torah, outside of Yeshua, that there is a lot of sexual debauchery and perversion. That's a norm. So if we're seeing any of these things happening, that lets you know, consider the source. Because there are many people who say, oh, yeah, I love God and I believe in him. But sexual perversion and debauchery and all sorts of corruptions and things like that being a normal thing. And it's like, oh, everybody does it. It's OK. It's it's normal. It's just kind of like, well, that that should show you right there. If, are they a part of Noah's family or not? Anyway, uh, so the Zohar interprets this verse from Bereshit 6.12 that says, Vayar Elohim et ha'aretz vehine nishchata. And it says, And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupted. Zohar interprets this verse literally, the earth was corrupted. But notice the verse says, God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupted. Okay, and so why was the earth corrupt when really it was the people that were corrupt? So it says, that is, man constitutes the essence of the earth so that his corruption infects the earth itself. So one of the things I always like to point out, at least in my own heart, that I would like to now start making public is when you see the earth doing crazy things like weather patterns or sleek out weather patterns and all sorts of uh, catastrophes and, and whatnot. Those things are, if you look behind the veil of them, they're like basically uh, conglomerations of energy. What do I mean by that? Let's look at a hurricane, for example. So hurricanes come from, you know, weather systems. I don't claim to be a meteorologist or a scientist by any stretch of the imagination. I do love science. But I will say common knowledge about hurricanes, they come from like the ocean and make landfall sometimes. And that is where the craziness happens. But hurricanes are like, you know, out there in the middle of the ocean where, you know, there's not any land because the water's swirling and there's all these giant waves and stuff. You know, you've seen the crazy movies. But anyway, I bring that up because if we look at what's going on, this could teach us how we are to act, how we are to respond on the polar opposite end, i.e., the swirl of the energy, the swirl, the momentum, you know, picking up mass and things like that. So what does that mean for us? That means we should be getting our hands and our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears, all of our senses so wrapped up in the things of Hashem that it it creates this huge just kind of swirl, this vortex, if you will. And we become the hurricane. And since we're siphoning that energy, now the hurricanes don't have their energy. And I know this is probably crazy, but this is why this is a GT. This is why it's a Gula talk, because it's time for us to get deep, you know, Kabbalistic style. So, you know, if you're looking in a circuit, you know, you have how, how does a circuit work? You know, all the electrical uh, inputs and the open and closed areas, what completes the, the current's path so it can run on. 
what is happening when there are tornadoes and hurricanes and all these things. These are wake up calls, first of all, that something's going on here. There's balance that's not in place and things need to get worked out. This is why after hurricanes happen, it's usually some of the most beautiful weather you've ever seen in your entire life. So how do we cause balance in the atmosphere? We as man have to call cause balance within ourselves. And yes, that means within people in and outside of Torah, because whether people like it or not, we're all conceived in Torah. Man was made with Torah. All of creation was made with Torah. So that's the thing. All babies are taught Torah in the womb. So everyone truly, whether they're Jewish or not, truly has to repent. You know, and it's just kind of like, but I never knew Torah. I never even can remember being taught Torah. It's like, great. Well, make make Teshuvah. It's like, so return back to something I never knew. Correct. Because there's this thing that uh, is about forgetting the Torah when you are born. Uh, let's see if I have this queued up here. Wasn't planning on going into this yet, but now I'm here. And let's see if I got it because... This is actually from Parsha Nitzavim, and it talks about, let's see here. Okay, here we go. So it says, all right, so this is talking about cleaving to Hashem, and let's see. Let's, let me just start here. Okay, it says, Sages ask, how then can one cling to Hashem? They answer, whoever marries his daughter to a Torah scholar. This is from the Kehot Humash, by the way, which I call the Kehert Humash, from the Inner Dimensions, Parashat Nitzavim. says, they answer, whoever marries his daughter to a Torah scholar or does business in order to benefit Torah scholars or uses wealth to benefit Torah scholars. And in this way, clings to a Torah scholar is considered by scripture as if he had clung to the divine presence. Okay, so first of all, that's absolutely ridiculous, insane, crazy. So you cleave and attach yourself to Hashem by attaching yourself to Torah. Just want to point that out there. Being attached to Hashem, you have to be attached to Torah, whether it's through a person or through some endeavor that upholds the Torah. So if you have people that distance themselves from Torah, they by default distance themselves from Hashem. Practical takeaway. Okay, it says, in a sense, this answer begs the question. Since we are still left wondering how a Torah scholar can cling to God. The solution to this enigma is that even though every Jewish soul is a part of God, rooted in God's essence, the vast majority of souls undergo a multi-stage diminution of divine consciousness that we might call induced spiritual amnesia. In the course of preparing to enter the physical world, there is a wide variation in the extent to which different souls experience this degradation of spiritual acuity. Except or accounting for the wide differences we observe in people's innate predisposition to spiritual or religious pursuits. Layman's terms, we 
we're taught the Torah because we're a part of Hashem, which the Torah is from Hashem and it connects us to Hashem. So as we have been taught Torah and come from Hashem, when we enter into this world, there's an amnesia that happens as we're filtered down from the highest world into the lowest world. And some filters are more than others. This is why some people are less um, pulled and drawn into spiritual and religious pursuits. Others who've been less filtered are like, man, I'm here. Like, I'm going to sit at the feet of Yeshua HaMashiach and I ain't moving. The dishes can wait. You know, the forsaken, all the worldly stuff and trying to stay stuck in spiritual stuff. And so this is kind of cool to think about because unfiltered or not, that, you know, we both have the same mission that we're to make this world a dwelling place for Hashem, which means we can't always stay stuck at work and we can't always stay stuck in the Torah study hall, whether that's, you know, studying in your living room or getting together with Torah groups and things like that. You can't, you can't stay in yeshiva and you can't stay at work. So it's like, you got to balance it out. And so it's cool that you have these filtered and unfiltered souls that have this spiritual amnesia going on that we're to balance out one another. So people who are stuck at work, a yeshiva person can engage them and then the work person can engage them. Hence why the work person can benefit the Torah scholar. The Torah scholar can benefit the work person. It's a very, very beautiful picture if you get into the tapestry of the big picture. So that's one of the things that we have to remember on Rosh Hashanah is that what we do with this time, what we, especially with these final moments of Elul, and we're really praying that the final redemption happens sooner than later. You know, it can happen at any moment, as we read from the Torah Wellsprings. It literally says Hashem can bring a Yeshua in a moment. And I was like, oh, so like a twinkling of an eye, you know, and it's just kind of like, yeah, so Baruch HaBashimah like we need that. Please reveal Mashiach ben David and the final redemption speedily in our days. Amen. So anyway, so we need to know uh, we affect the earth because we're the essence of it. God's remembrance. Here's another preface drop from the Machzor. It says, okay, so first of all, let's compare human versus uh, Hashem. So it says, human memory takes many forms. We remember some experiences vividly and others hardly at all. Often we block out unpleasant events, while sometimes they remain to haunt us and give us nightmares. Our Often our lifelong perception of a person or place is colored by the indelible memory of a particularly powerful experience okay so we have this whole thing where sometimes our memories were like oh it was great and it's just like oh i can remember everything about it and other stuff is like it's horrible i'm trying to forget it thanks for bringing it up eight years of therapy down the drain you know and then you know there's like all these different things that like haunt us and give us nightmares okay so that's what we're looking like for a human now let's elevate up to a shim okay it says, God's memory is of another kind entirely. It is perfect in terms of accuracy, of course, but that is not all. So not only is Hashem's memory completely like on point, like a ball pen, like it's so exact. That's not it. 
it says, God is not limited by time. I would like to insert, this is why Yeshua was not in a rush to get to anywhere. Everybody's like, you're late and hurry up. What are you doing? And it's just kind of like, you know, I always think of Eliezer's story because Lazarus is Eliezer in Hebrew, by the way. This is why when some people who are Eliezer, they're called laser because it's like Lazarus. But anyway, it says, you know, he showed up like after, you know, Lazarus had died, you know, and they're like weeping. They're like, what you you're here now, like you should have been here earlier, like he's dead now. Like what what's going to happen? So Yeshua is weeping and, you know, it's the he's expressing, hey, I do feel all of this human pain and the loss and the the unfortunate happenings of death. Because there's not supposed to death, there's not supposed to be any death, like mankind is not supposed to die. But because of sin and because of our own actions and our own corruptions, we've caused death to enter into creation. So. With that being said, Yeshua is weeping, you know, so this is where the Yeshua wept verse comes from, you know, because there always used to be just a side note here to swerve off track for a second. That when I used to say grace before meals as a child, because we didn't know anything about the brachas that the rabbis came up with that Yeshua would have recited, uh, you know, like the Barukatado, Nailohenimakalam, Shakol, Nye, Bivaro. You know, those types of brachas that you say before partaking of different foods. Uh, we used to be like, all right, who's going to say grace today? It's like, OK, I got it. And then we would go, you know, Yeshua wept and be like, I And it's like, what was that? It was like, well, that was that's actually a verse in, in Yochanan. And, you know, grace is supposed to be a verse, supposed to say a verse of the Bible. So Yeshua wept. And, you know, it was just kind of like, okay, that's what we're going with. It's like somebody's really hungry. Anyway, I just want to point out that Yeshua wept is actually a verse. And this is what is going on with him showing up, quote unquote, late to Eliezer's family as they're weeping for him and saying, Yeshua, you should have came when we called you because we told you he was sick. But remember, Hashem is not limited by time. So here, Yeshua is inside of time, still not being limited to time. So Hashem is not limited by time, neither is Yeshua limited by time. So, just want to point that out. We, however, are limited to time, because had we shown up earlier, we could have possibly helped uh, Eliezer with Hashem's help. But if we showed up late, I mean, I guess Hashem can definitely do miracles. We could have resurrected him, but it would have not been on the level of Yeshua HaMashiach. I just want to point that out. We are very limited to time. To him, Yeshua HaMashiach is going to fit this bill. This is the next verse. You ready for this? This is talking about Hashem, but also apply this to Yeshua. Because Yeshua is the extension of Hashem. Because a son is always the extension of the father. So anyway, uh, it says to him, past, present and future are not say are not imperative considerations. What does that mean? Past, present and future don't have a hold on Hashem. All right. So this is why I bring up 
where I bring up. Where is it? Okay. I was looking for Yehezkel over here. Yehezi, hit him with the beat. Okay. That's one of my suits. I have a Yehezki suit, which is short for Ezekiel. So there's a beautiful Chidush on uh, the Aron, the Ark. And it's talking about how it does not uh, regard time and space. And so this particularly is from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, uh, Rabbi Menachem Snearson. Check this out. So it says, we say the name Hashem, like the Tetragrammaton, includes the past, the present, and the future as one. And time is a continuum, including the past, present, and the future. It is clear that the concept of time applies even as the world is created from the name Hashem. It is merely that in such a world, the past, present, and future are all one. Similarly, concepts apply with regard to space. So time and space when it comes to the name of Hashem, like they're, they're null, like there's no limitation for them. It says the concept of space applies even when the world to be created from the name of Hashem. On that level, however, the six directions of space are as one. What you and I know as space, like up, down, left, right, front, back, like those six directions, in the name of Hashem... That realm, like that name, it does not exist. Past, present, and future, and the name of Hashem, that does not exist. So Yeshua says, I came in the name of the one who sent me. So what in the world does that mean? Because Yeshua aged from like a, a embryo all the way up to a 33-year-old. But yet time doesn't apply to him and space doesn't apply to him. Okay, so now that we're all blue screened, Baruch Hashem, it says, accordingly, we may say, oh, I just want to mention, so time and space is one, you know, so past, present, future is one, six dimensions of space is one, Hashem is called Echad, right? There you go. So Yeshua operated in Echad. All right. Echad being one. Okay, so accordingly, we may say. The reason why there is neither limitation nor division within time or space in the world as created by the name Hashem, although even the world was created by the divine name Hashem, is also only incomparably lower level than the source that created it, is because on this level the world would be in a state of absolute nullification. Since at this level within the past, the present, and the future, and similarly with each of the six directions, is felt not their own state of being, but that of Hashem, which creates them. They do not conflict with each other and are indeed as one. Then they go on to say, and this is the reality of the Beit HaMikdash. So that's considered a lower level than the source that created it. So 
like the name of a shim is like a lower level than the source that created it. Yeah. So Ain Sof, like a shim is the infinite light. And beyond that, and so Hashem is not only the Tetragrammaton, he's beyond that. So that is just, I don't know what to do with that right now. But anyway, so this applied to the temple and this applied to the ark. This is why when you went to the temple, if all of the men of Israel come and make Aliyah like they're supposed to on um, Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, that everybody could fit in the courtyard of the temple and they could bow and prostrate fully, which means you bend your knee, drop your knees to the ground, and then you sprawl out on on your face, like laying out, like flat on your face, hands stretched out, feet stretched out. And everybody had enough room. And also, likewise, the ark was bigger and measurement uh, size like dimensions than the space in which it was supposed to fit, which is the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was a certain size, but the ark was bigger than that size, yet it fit into the Holy of Holies. So that's what, uh, you know, the Lubavitcher, the Lubavitcher Rebbe decided to uh, comment on like that was OK, citing some Zohar, of course, some Sha'ar Hayyud Vehaemunah, chapter seven. We got uh, Pincus 257B. That should be fun to read. Uh, and then we got, uh, Yoma 21 B and yeah, so there's a few sources for you to check out, uh, because that's just insane. So anyway, on Rosh Hashanah, this is happening with the memory, the remembrance part of the day, which is all happening by the way, through the shofar and us reciting verses about Hashem being King over us. So we're crying we're blowing shofar, we're davening, and, you know, we're making shuva. And this is causing Hashem to have favorable remembrance for us. Baruch Hashem. All right, so I want to jump in the Machzor all the way to the Erev meal. Because here's the cool thing. So when you start Rosh Hashanah, it actually starts with Minka. You know, so the last day of 5779 goes into the first day of 5780, you know, and may that be the beginning of the final redemption. But um, I just want to point out that, you know, as we're davening, we go from Minka into Ma'ariv. And again, I mentioned on Shabbat that we say at the Minka time, may Hashem bless this year, i.e. 5779, like the last day of the year in its last moments, we ask Hashem to bless the whole entire year. Well, now, after we've gone through our blue screening of Hashem having no past, present and future and all space is one, then now we know how that works, because asking Hashem to bless the year, he can backtrack it because he can bless the past, present and future all at the same time because it's Hashem. But anyway, uh, so we go into our prayer service after we've done that after we've asked Hashem to bless this year like make make our whole year good even if we've struggled even if we've fallen short 
of Hashem's glorious standard. Even if we're deserving of death, because of that moment, we've made so much shuva and we've asked Hashem to bless the year. Bless 5779. And then we come to the precipice of 5780 as we enter into Ma'ariv with the candle lighting and all of the festivities that begin for Rosh Hashanah now we're considered a newborn babe because we're free of sin we're free of guilt and we're here with Hashem so that's absolutely ridiculous right so then you come right out of Ma'ariv and you bring in the Shana Tova gre uh, greetings so it says on the first night, because Rosh Hashanah is two days, by the way, this is a two day festival. This is why no man knows the day or the hour, because we don't know if it's going to happen on the first of Tishrei or the second of Tishrei. There you go, because it's a Rosh Hodesh, right? Because, you know, this is why we don't say Kiddush Levana to sanctify the new moon. We don't say it before the third day of the month. Interestingly, in Tishrei, because we have Yom Kippur, we will be holding off on saying the Kiddush Levonah. Kol Echad, by the way, all is one. All Jews everywhere. We're all going to say it after Yom, uh, Yom Kippur, so, which is the 10th day of the month. So it'll be the 11th day of the month. And that's when we will say Kiddush Levonah. But anyway, so we got these two days. but So only on the first night. So this will be on our first evening. It says that it is customary to greet one another with the following short blessing. Hebrew grammar requires that the wording vary with the number and gender of people being addressed. After the first night, the conventional Gut Yom Tov or Chag Sameach greeting is used. So after the first night, if you want to greet people uh, for Lashana Tova, you want to say Gut Yom Tov or Chag Sameach. This is also where Gut Shabbos comes from for the uh, Ashkenazi. Ashkenazim, I should say. Okay, so we say Lashana Tova. So that's how we say, you know, Happy New Year. And it's definitely not to be confused with January the 1st. So let's point that out real quick. Because look at this word. It says le, which can mean two or four. And then shana, which is year or cycle. So two or four, a cycle. And then you have the objective of this cycle, tova, like for the good. So may this be a good cycle. May this be a good year, like for a good cycle, for a good year. Okay. So first of all, that's the first thing we say. And then we say, if it's a, if we're speaking to a man, we say, "Tekatevu vetechatemu." Tekatevu vetechatemu, which is, for a good year, may you be inscribed and sealed immediately for a good life and for shalom. Which the second phrase of that, because I realize I only said half of it. So "Tekatevu vetechatemu." Which is for a good year, may you be inscribed and sealed. Second part, le altar le chayim tovim ul shalom. Immediately for a good life and for shalom. Because Rosh Hashanah is when Hashem sets everything. He's going to set our pay grade and he's going to set our death date. So he's going to know or he's going to he's going to decree 
if we die in that year or not. That's already set. So if we are appointed for that time to be, you know, then Hashem sets it at Rosh Hashanah. And so some point before the next Rosh Hashanah, that person will uh, enter into that decree. So we want to definitely ask Hashem for life and we want to ask Hashem that we be inscribed and sealed for good and for good life and for shalom, uh, that no one would have to die. And furthermore, may Hashem bring the final redemption so that really death could stop. <laughs> like, could we just not have sickness and disease and horrible tragedies continue to happen in the world? That would be great. You know, so let's ask for that with tears and with the shofar sound. Okay. And if you're speaking to a woman, you say, Tikatevi vetechatemi. And then you add in a leatar lechaim tovim shalom. So, uh, obviously, that sounds like Riki Tiki Tavo or something like that. And you don't want to say that word to people. <laughs> but, you know, you want to definitely say for a good year, maybe inscribed in seal immediately. For a good life and for shalom. Like, Hashem, do it now. Please don't wait. Okay? So that's the first thing. So you start saying Lashana Tobah at the conclusion of Ma'ariv. Only on the first night. Second thing is, there's going to be a little change up when you do the Kiddush. So after your Lashana Tobah, you go right into your Kiddush. Okay, if it was Arab Shabbat, like a Friday night, you would go into your Shalom Aleichem and you would do your okay the proverbs 31 and then you would go right into uh the kiddish which is where we say the sixth day thus the heavens and the earth okay but this year rosh hashanah is not on a shabbat so but the day will be a shabbat so if you're planning on working that day try not to plan on working that day and the following day. No man knows the day or the hour. So you might want to be ready for that. Okay. So you would go right into your. Sabri Maranan Verabanan Verobotai. Which is by your leave. My masters and my teachers. And bless the wine. You know. And then you would do the bracha for the blessing the day. So it's important to know we're holding this wine. And this applies to Shabbat too. Because. We now inaugurate and establish that it is the Yom Tov. So when Yeshua was holding up this cup and saying, this is the cup of the covenant, he was saying, I am inaugurating right now this cup of the covenant that before my death, I am renewing the covenant. Just like Moshe did is Parsha Nitzavim. I'm renewing the covenant because this is right before my death. Interesting to note, the renewing of the covenant is the same Torah, but with new stipulations. What what do I mean by stipulations? So before when we received the Torah, Hashem said we need guarantors. And when we said Nasev and Ishmael, we said, okay, our children will be our guarantors because that's the only way we can truly uphold Torah because that would mean we have to teach Torah to our children. Our children are going to hold us accountable. So we can't say oh, our parents will be our guarantors because what if our parents die before us? Then we can't be held responsible. But technically, we're supposed to outlive our children. So therefore, our children are going to make sure we uphold this Torah. Now, in Parsha Nitzavim, there's a new facet revealed that says, hey, guess what? You're your brother's keeper. 
So you're guarantors for one another. Water drawers. You uh, like all the different categories that he brings out. You know, all the, the teachers, the priests, you know, all that, all that. Everybody's accountable to one another, which is so cool because the Torah scroll itself is bookended with a tacoon because the problem with Cain and Hevel was they weren't guarantors for one another. They were not their brother's keeper. But at the end of the Torah, preceding the death of Moshe, we become our brother's keeper. So literally the death of Moshe is going to take us back into the garden. So Yeshua is doing the same thing. This is why that little drop of the thief that was next to him on the crucifixion stake said, you know, uh, you know, basically I repent and I want to be with you. And Yeshua says, today you will be with me and gone Eden, which is paradise. So, you know, you have this beautiful picture that right before the death of the Redeemer, he's going to bring us back into the garden through us being guarantors for one another. And where did the guarantors for one another happen at the crucifixion scene? This is where that same thief who said he wanted to confess and be with Yeshua. He spoke up to the other thief and said, hey, what are you what are you doing? Like he called him out and said, hey, this this man did nothing. But you and I we're dying. We're dying deaths that we should because we deserve it because we did this you know and so like definitely upholding it so this is a, the other powerful thing that we have whether we're jewish or not is to be one another's keeper to like respectively call each other out and to respectively be there for one another and lift each other up hold people morally and ethically accountable like don't just be like oh debauchery over there i guess something wrong with you one of my favorite things i love to say because i love humor is when I hear people swearing and doing all sorts of crazy talk, I'm like, hey, 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 language. You know, like Captain America from uh, Age of Ultron, which is funny because I'm Iron Man, right? So why am I talking like Captain America? But anyway, uh, which I like to point out that Iron Man was the one who was like, really, Cap? We're going to talk about language? <laughs> you know? And so... Uh, and obviously Iron Man became the smarty pants after that when other people started saying, he's like, hey, and watch your language. So I've definitely keyed in on that, you know, so I love saying that to people. I go, hey, 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 language, this is a family show, you know, and they look at me like, are you really right now, Mr. Clean over there? I'm like, yeah, pour me in a bucket and uh, add water and let's mop the floor, you know. Anyway, because Mr. Clean is a cleaning solution used for mopping. But all right. So that was all just to say we do our kiddish and we inaugurate the day. So the the power of the cup of wine, it's like saying this bracha and you're you're instituting, you're initiating things. This is why when a, a man proposes to a woman, he gives her a cup of wine after he's drunk out of it. And if she drinks it, then that's it. You know, that's like saying, yes, I'll marry you. So careful, ladies. Don't be drinking after people. Unless it's your husband or unless it's somebody you want to be your husband. Okay. Uh, and so normally after we do the kiddish, we go right into hand washing, right? But guess what? It's Rosh Hashanah. Not only do we get to talk, but we get to say blessings. Because normally after you say kiddish and you start hand washing, it gets real quiet. Because it's like we don't say anything else until we say amen to the hamotzi bracha. But on Rosh Hashanah, though, we switch it up. We, first of all, go right into the Shekianu. And then uh, we go into what's called the Simana 
mil, milta, milte, which is significant omens. So this is on the night of Rosh Hashanah. There is all there is an almost universal custom. So I want you to just say almost real quick. Just a, a housekeeping note on halakha. When you start learning things that are halakha, i.e. customs and observances and uh, ways to uphold the mitzvot, halakha and mitzvot are completely different things. Halakha help you do mitzvot. Mitzvot are actually the commandment that Hashem said. So a halakha for keeping the Shabbat is that we light candles. Okay, and again, that's a rabbinic commandment, so it's not like you have to light candles, but if you don't light candles, then you're putting yourself in a very interesting scenario because it's like, okay, so you said it's Shabbat, right? So, you know, is there is there something you're going to do to separate out the Shabbat from the rest of the week? Because the Shabbat is supposed to be set apart as holy. And the whole candle lighting service has so many different things attached to it, so... And if you really want to know, candle lighting actually takes us all the way back to the garden. So there's that. But anyway, um, so another another halakha would be, you know, um, I don't know, uh, wearing wearing the kippa, and you know, always having a head covering of some sort um, and things like that. So. This is just another way to help you uphold Zenut, you know, because we're supposed to dress modestly. And so Halakha will teach us in these things. And so if you don't, you know, so to speak, wear a kippah or tekel specifically, the the point is that you're wearing some kind of head covering, you know. And obviously, if it's a woman, she needs to wear something womanly, not manly. And obviously, a man needs to wear something manly. So... Anyway, just want to point that out that what I'm about to get into, this is not something that's like 100%. Like if you don't do this thing, you're in trouble. But you should be aware that it's almost universal. Just like, again, when you get into observance, don't just think, oh, it's all monolithic. Like everybody's doing this. It's like, no, not everybody puts their right shoe on first. However, that's a good thing to get into. Like looking at tying your shoes which way and using which hand for what. Okay, but anyway, that's all halakha. So when you get on the halakha train, drive safely, okay? So the first thing we say is the bracha for the apple dipped in honey. So here's what you're going to do. So it says you dip the first piece of challah into the honey after the challah has been eaten. A piece of apple sweetened with honey is given to each participant and the blessing is recited. Okay, so your hamotzi is going to um, come up at some point. So you can either do your hamotzi before this so that you can go into the Seder or you can do your hamotzi after. But it... It looks like here that you want to go ahead and do your hamotzi and your hand. So your hand wash, hamotzi, and then go into this. So that would probably be the preferred way to do it. Just as a heads up. Okay. So you do your hamotzi, dip it in honey three times, and you partake of it. And then you go with the apple. So you get a slice of apple, say the beret priya eights, dip the apple in honey. Okay. And then after 
this is what you say after you do it. You say, may it be your will, Adonai, our God and the God of our forefathers, that you renew for us a good and sweet year. Mm -mm -mm. Okay. And then you go into symbolic foods and prayers. Okay. So you have carrots, you know, and it's all about merit. May they increase. Okay. And then you have the leek or the cabbage and you talk about your enemies being decimated. And then you have the beets, which is all about removing your adversaries. You have the dates, which is about your enemies being consumed. You have the gourd, the gourd which is like squashy type thing. Says that um, decree of our sentence be torn asunder, like rip up the bill of debt much. Interesting. Gourds hang, gourds hang and Yeshua hung. And so it's all this picture here about tearing up the evil decree. And it also says, may our merits be proclaimed before you. So there's that. Why we need the merit of Mashiach, as well as the bill of debt to be ripped up. Then it says, that's some Colossian stuff for you. Okay, so the pomegranate, and then you want it, that's symbolic of the merits uh, as, the seeds of, as the seeds of a pomegranate. So all of your mitzvah keeping. Now the fish, and some people have fish allergies, so obviously some people probably won't do this. And pe probably, people probably have allergies to other stuff. Like, I got allergy to beets. I don't like them. I don't know what my allergy is, but I can just tell you I don't like them. Anyway, uh, so the fish, it talks about being fruitful and multiplying like fish. There you go. Then the head uh, of a sheep or the head of a fish. It says that we may be the head and not the tail. And there's a beautiful thing on that about the head and not the tail, because it's just kind of like, what, what do you mean? It says that, um, let's see. It says as a head and not the tail, this prayer is based on Devarim 28, 13. Hashem, Hashem shall place you as the head and not as a tail. Targum Uncle's paraphrases as a mighty one and not as a weakling. So also need to note the sheep's head. So if you really want to get spiritual, instead of being a fish, make sure you get a sheep head. I can tell you right now, I probably won't have either of these, a fish head or a sheep head. Would love to, but I'll definitely be thinking about this insight. So I'll pretend like I have a sheep's head and go with this insight. It says... It's used for the symbolic food because it serves as an additional reminder of the merits of the Akedah, the binding of Yitzhak, at which a ram, i.e. Yeshua, replaced Yitzhak on the altar. So this is the beautiful thing about the merits of Yitzhak and the merits of Yeshua is that it's the same thing. Because though it was the ram that was slain, it's accredited to Yitzhak, but the lamb was still slain, the ram. So when we really talk about Yeshua, we're really talking about the one who took Yitzhak's place and Yitzhak is accredited, you know, for Yeshua's sacrifice. So again, remember that whole time, present, past, future thing, because let's go back to the Akira, that this ram existed before creation and it was appointed to be used for the Akedah. This is why it was slain, because past, present, and future are one with Hashem. So, when Yitzhak is placed on the altar at that appointed time, that's when the ram was brought forth. 
caught in the thicket. Okay, so Yeshua had to be crucified at a specific time. This is why no one could arrest him and take him captive and hand him over to the nations, i.e. Rome, because they're the culmination of the nations, which is this final exile. That couldn't happen until a certain time. So when it was time for the round to be caught up in the thicket, that's when he was able to be crucified. And since we're on a whole no time and space thing, Yeshua's offering takes place at the same place in the same space and the same time frame as the Akira. So when we're talking about the Akira, we're actually talking about one thing, which is Hashem's name being bound up for us because the Ram is Ha'ayil, which is Elohai, which is my God. And we know Elohai is short for El or Elohim, and then that is the concealment of the Yod and Hey and Vav and Hey, the Tetragrammaton, which is the name we call Hashem. So it's all couched into one. So when we're talking about Yitzhak, we're really talking about Yeshua, as far as the Akedah goes. And then when we're talking about Yeshua, we're really talking about Elohim. And then, or Slika, when we're talking about Yeshua, we're talking about Elohai. And then when we're talking about Elohai, we're really talking about Elohim. Talking about Elohim, we're really talking about Hashem. And when we're talking about Hashem, we're really talking about everything beyond that. This is why the Akedah is like literally a pun intended because it's all bound up, you know, and marked one, you know. So an Akedah is one who is marked, one who is bound. So, yeah, there's that. Okay, so. Check this out, though. It says, nevertheless, if a sheep's head is not available, any other head may be substituted. Why? Because Yeshua died in our place. OK, so though Yeshua died, I died. Though Yeshua died, you died. Though Yeshua died, the other you over there, you. Yes, you in the back corner. Yeah, you died. OK, this is the beautiful thing about being bound up with the Mashiach. We're all Akidot. And so you can substitute ahead of anything and cause it to be. So I'll, I'm going to take Rabbi Griffin's advice and get a head of lettuce. And we will partake of that and ask Hashem to remember the Akedah. We want to be, uh, we want to have our vegetables, our nourishment up in this joint, right? So it says, although the allusion to the Akedah would not be present, the other symbol which is that we be as the head and not the tail would remain. And that's from the Maganah round. So that's a few insights from the Rosh Hashanah Magzor. Now to my notes to uh, take us into the conclusion of this podcast. And I say conclusion, but my notes, goodness, I'm scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. All right. I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm going to hit this as fast as I can. All right, prep day. Let's turn on the afterburners. Okay, it says, first of all, Rosh Hashanah has got two names. Well, it's got more, I know, but I'm going to focus on two because I want to get into some gematria. We got Yom Teruah, which is literally day of shouting, day of crying, right? You're shouting, your shouts, your cries. It's supposed to, and this is from Ish Pela, violent man. He brings down that it's the cries of Hagar. 
Remember, Hagar is also called the Gare, which is the stranger, the proselyte, the one who should come in and, re and convert. And remember, the shofar rebirths us. We're born again because the shofar is literally the voice of Hashem. So when we hearken to it, we become born again. I digress. So her sobbing when her and Yishmael were kicked out and she was just kind of like, oh, I don't know. <gasps> you know, she's crying and sobbing. That's like the bup, 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 like the, <gasps> you know, like the crazy cry. And then the loud shouting cry, just the, <gasps> you know, anyway. So that's my terrible acting. But, you know, you get the point, hopefully. If not, don't cry about it and we'll keep moving. But anyway, so there to, uh, to be symbolic of her cries. Another source, can't remember what it was, but brings down that this was the cry of Sarah as she died. You know, uh, which was Parsha Kaye Sarah. So there's all that. So here we go. Gematria. Yom Teruah. The whole total Gematria is 737. 7 plus 3 plus 7 is Tov, which is Yeshua, by the way. Because a 17 is the gematria of Tov. Yeshua is also 17 because Yeshua is gematria 386, which is 3 plus 8 plus 6, which is 17. So Tov and Yeshua, which is interesting because Yeshua says, why do you call me Tov? There's only one who is Tov. And who is that? That's the Yom Teruah. That's the Rosh Hashanah. That's the head of all things. Okay. Also, 737 is the gematria of no not 737 17 zevak which is zayin vet which is nine plus eight which is the chet so zayin vet chet is zevak which means to sacrifice or slaughter this is the act that happens to the korban use zevak the korban you slaughter it Okay, this was the word that was actually used uh, for the people dying in the wilderness during the 40 years. First time this word is actually used is in um, Parsha Vayetze, which is when Yaakov offered a sacrifice on the mountain and invited his relatives to eat a meal. And this is the whole encounter with Levon as he's leaving in the whole uh, place called Gal-Ed which I think some translations call Gilead, but it's Gal-Ed, which is the place of, uh, it says here this pillar is set up and it's a witness, basically. So here's a place of witness. So it says the Atbash of this is 110. So the Atbash of Yom Teruah is 110 in Gematria, which is where you substitute every Tav for Aleph and every Bet or in every uh, Sheen for a Bet. So it's the mirror letters that would correspond to one another, which is 110. 110 is the Gematria of Ness, which is Miracle or Banner. Okay, so we're having a day of the Banner, a day of Miracle which is why, you know, resurrection of the dead has been one of the many things that is supposed to occur on this day, which is two days. But interesting, we call Rosh Hashanah one day, even though it's two. Because no man knows the time or the hour. And with Hashem, time doesn't matter anyway. So 
Might as well just put that in there. Okay, and another gematria is Shalhebet, which is the word for flame. So, uh, and back. So this is back to the gematria seven thirty-seven. So Shalhebet, which is the word for flame, as seen in Shir Hashirim, Song of Songs or Songs of Solomon, eight six, which is set me like a seal over your heart. Like a seal on your arm, i.e. to feeling, right? And it says, for love is as strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as Sheol. Its flames are bolts of fire and the Shalhabet of Adonai. So linear Slikot Nuswak Lita, fourth day of the 10 days of penance. Because we're going to be saying some Slikot during the 10 days between, which is Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. That's 10 days on the calendar. We also will be saying Slikot. Some people have already started during Elul. But we will also begin at the conclusion of this week going into Shabbat and uh, Erev Rosh Hashanah afterwards. After we go through Yom Rishon for prep day. So we'll be doing Slikot here pretty shortly if we haven't already been doing it. And uh, we, we mentioned this verse during the Slikot about setting me as a seal upon your heart. And from Duties of the Heart, the first treatise on unity, introduction 12, says the duties of the limbs, which consist of action only and get and gave three examples, as he said, and you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand. And they shall be as totifold between your eyes, and you shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. This refers to the tefillin of the hand and of the head and the mezuzah. So the duties of the limbs, which consist of action only. And here are three examples. So these are some like duties of the limbs of your body. And they are tefillin and mezuzah. Says all of whom cause one to, here it is, key word, remember the creator. This is probably why it's connected to Yom Teruah, the day of shouting, Rosh Hashanah, because it's all about remembrance. One of the ways to remember Hashem is mezuzah and tefillin. And it says, and to wholeheartedly serve him and to yearn to him, as scripture says regarding how lovers keep their love in mind. Lovers have to keep their love in mind. It says, set me as a seal upon your heart and as a seal upon your arms. Shir HaSharim 8.6 And behold, I have engraved you upon the palms of my hands. Yeshayahu 49.16 That's actually from Parashat Ekev. And we went into a whole beautiful drop on that in the Haftarah for Parashat Ekev with myself and Hasis Bas. So if you have a moment to check out that podcast, I know it's two and a half hours, but you might want to do that. The beautiful thing about engraving on the palm of the hands is ridiculous. And yes, we do talk about Mashiach being pierced in his hands and his feet. Anyway, it says, and in that day, says Adonai Zevaot, will I take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheltil, says Adonai, and will make you as a signet ring, for I have chosen you. That's from Haggai. 223 and a bundle of myrrh is my beloved unto me 
it, the myrrh, shall lie between my breasts. Shir Hashirim 1, 13. God ordained three signs in order that they be stronger and more enduring. As the wise man said, a three cord is not a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Kohelet 412. Again, that's from Duties of the Heart, Treaties on, Treaties on Unity, Introduction 12. So we got some Atbash again on 311. Here it says 3 plus 1 plus 1 is 5. We have the Torah. Hang on here. I'm not sure what I uh, 311. So I bosh of something. So since I'm going to not go ahead and source that out. Anyway, if you ever come, come across 311, just know it's connected to the Torah and the Tehillim, which is all books of Torah because there are five books of Torah and there's five books of Tehillim. And then uh, 311 is the Gematria for Ish. Uh, and also for the Isha, like Ha Isha. And then... Be Sade, which is in the field, which is where Cain was murdered. So there's a beautiful drop from Orhakaim on that tangent about the earth opening up and swallowing the body of uh, Hevel when Cain murdered Hevel. So the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed Hevel. That was ridiculous to read that. Uh, and also, let's see here, we got. A whole lot of stuff so let's go ahead and get down here to my next little drop okay the word for Ishe fire offerings where did I get 311 from I need to get this figured out at Bosch at Bosch okay so stand by because I want to figure this out. Okay, so let's uh, go like all the way back to my original 110 Atbosh, which is probably a long time ago. But not sure where 110 came from because the Atbosh, again, the mirror reflection of all the letters of the Olive Bets is actually. The Atbash of Yom Teruah is 311. So, Slicha, big time on that. Apologize. But uh, my notes here are apparently shuffled up, which I don't know why. There was something I was studying and rabbit trailing off on that led me to 110. So, I will definitely uh, need to figure that out. But in the meantime, 110 definitely had to do with the banner and the miracle, and that somehow connects to Yom Teruah, which again, don't know how I got there, but I'm pretty sure it had something to do with that. So, uh, but continuing on with uh, where I was headed with the 311 is that 311 is these, these, uh, the drops that I just mentioned, you know, you have the the Torah, the Tehillim, because 311 is 3 plus 1 plus 1 is 5. And that's five books of Torah, the five books of Tehillim. 
311 itself without adding it up is ish or which is the man which is man or the isha which is the woman and besade which is in the field and then that's the whole you know drop there about the field and um that's also tied into the field uh that abraham acquired where the cave of machpelah is so that he could bury sarah ah <sighs> man i'm so sorry about the 311 or the uh the 110 so i don't know where that came from i literally cannot remember like where did i get that anyway 110 it's in there somewhere all right so i wanted to go to ishe though which is the word for fire offerings which if you look at ishe then you know it's literally the word for isha but it's spelled um or Ha Isha, but it's spelled Aleph Sheen Yod. So if you talk about the woman, Ha Isha, and you take the haze and you combine them, you get a Yod, and now you have Aish and you have Yod, which you have like 10 fires, right? So if you put the Yod with the word Aish, like add it to the end of Aish, you get Ishay. Which we say this in the 16th tefillah of the Shemone Esrei that says, Ve'ishe Yisrael, like may you restore the fire offerings of Yisrael in their prayer. So the fire offerings of Yisrael, it says, since the temple is not standing, the phrase is allegorical. Because we're praying this bracha right now and the temple is not in existence yet. The heavenly one is though. But anyway, it says it refers to the souls and deeds of the righteous. Which are as pleasing sacrifices, the Jewish or Jewish prayers that are like offerings or altar fires and sacrifices of the Messianic era. So Jewish prayers that are like offerings or altar fires and sacrifices of the Messianic era. So we're operating in a semblance of the Messianic era right now when we're doing our prayer. When we're doing our Minka, our Ma'ariv, our Shakari. Then it says, some punctuate the blessing to read, restore the service, i.e. temple service, and the fire offerings of Israel, their prayer with love, accept favorably. So just to point out there that our souls, our deeds are pleasing as sacrifices. Our prayers are like the offerings or the altar fires and sacrifices of the Messianic era. Getting super spiritual, right? Okay, so that's Yom Teruah. We look at Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah's gematria is 861. 8 plus 6 plus 1 is 15. This is the abbreviation of Yod Hey, which is the abbreviation of Yeshua HaMashiach. Yod Hey is 15, which is the 15 songs of ascents known as Shir Hamalot. And you have the 15 steps of the Seder. Okay. So taking us all the way back to Pesach. So Rosh Hashanah is going to tie in Pesach to the 
the like the former and the latter reign is going to tie together basically through Rosh Hashanah. So there's that. Uh, it also brings up that it's the gematria of Matityahu, which means gift of God. So the writings of Matthew, his Hebrew name literally comes from the word that means gift of God. Matityahu, it says, is a Levite who presided over offerings, a Levite appointed by David to minister in the musical service before the ark. I think Matthew and the Gospels did just a little bit of that because Yeshua being representative of the ark and Matityahu actually being a Levite, all of that. So there's all of that to take into consideration. It says, one of the men who stood at the right hand of Ezra when he read the law to the people. So there's that. Uh, another gematria here. We have scrolling down. We have a it is finished drop, which is the word va hatimoti which comes from Ezekiel 22:15 which is the word for to be complete or finished which comes from the word tamam which means complete or finish first use of this word is Bereshit 47:15 which talks about when all the money was spent in the land like when it was finished because remember, Yosef was ruling in Mitzrayim under Paro, and he was considered to be the viceroy. And so he took all the wealth of Egypt. And it was to the point that all the money was spent in the land, and now people had to offer themselves in service. So when you look at Yeshua on the crucifixion stake saying, it is finished, He's showing us that picture, that overlay of Yosef gathering in all the wealth, all the materiality of the exile. And now people are beginning to become followers and slaves of him. And so you have this picture of Yeshua's dominion over this current exile. Just like he told us, he said, my shalom, I give you not as the world gives. I've overcome the world. And I'm going to show you because I'm going to say it is finished. And so upon his death. Literally, everything has been taken up now, and now we have the opportunity to be giving ourselves over to him. And once we do that, we have access to the riches and the treasures and all of that. However, if we don't give ourselves to him, then we won't have anything to eat and we'll be left to fend for ourselves, which is why so much corruption is happening in the world today, because so many people are left to fend for themselves. They're just trying to make sure they get enough for them. There's not a concern about, okay, let's make, let's make sure my brother's covered. Let's make sure the community's covered. It's like, no, I need to get what I need to get. This is why people church hop. This is why people don't belong to shuls. Some people will choose not to have rabbis because they don't want to share in this mentality, uh, which is not really a mentality as much as it is, is a principle that we are our brother's keeper. So anyway, Another time uh, it is finished was written was in Revelations 21, 5 through 6, which it says, And the one seated upon the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Then he said, Write, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is finished. 
I am the Aleph and the Tav, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will freely give from the spring of the water of life. Which the rock that traveled with us in the wilderness was called a spring of the water of life. So when Yeshua says, if you place your amuna in me, out of you will flow rivers of living water. Is anyone thirsty? Let them come to me. Like that whole drop there. That's a sukkah drop for the ages. Pun intended. So Yeshua is saying it is finished in Yochanan 1930. All right. So the Atbash of Rosh Hashanah is 596, which is the word Shimron. Not to be confused with Shomron, which would be Samaria. But anyway, Shimron, it says, is from the word Shimmer and its original sense, guardianship. Shimron is the name of an Israelite and a place in Israel. So Shimron's root is Shemer or Shamar or Shemor, which is all about guardian. And so this is where Shomer man comes from. So I had to point this out because Rosh Hashanah has this aspect and semblance of Shomer, of guardianship. And it says Shemer is all about the lees and the dregs. And then it says the root is Shomer, which is from Tehillim 75.8, which says and must drain and drink down its dregs. Okay, Rabbi Trugman brings down numerically the word for Satan equals 359. Okay, don't know why we're getting into this, but we'll find out shortly. The word Nachash, which is the primordial snake in the garden, equals 358, which, by the way, is also the Gematria of Mashiach 358. Kabbalah teaches that in tabulating the numerical value of a word, the number one may be added to represent the word as a whole. Therefore, Satan and Nakash, both equaling 359, may be viewed as alternate names for the same negative energy. It is important to note that it was on Rosh Hashanah itself that the Nakash tempted Hava to eat from the tree of knowledge and of good and evil in the garden. Subsequently, Adam also ate from the tree, and as a result, both were exiled from Eden. This is probably why the gematria of Yom Teruah has to do with Haisha, the wife, the woman, because there's this whole tikkun that's being made for the woman. Anyway, uh, because when you tikkun the man, you tikkun the woman. To get you some of that. Okay, so it says the spiritual counterbalance to the primordial snake in Satan is, of course, Mashiach, whose name also fittingly equals 358, or 359 when adding one for the for the word. These primordial energies of good and evil represented by the snake and Mashiach are matched up once again in the story of Yaakov and Esau, particularly in the incident when Yaakov wrestled with Esau's guardian angel 
who according to tradition was none other than Hasatan himself. Yaakov's name alludes to this primordial battle between archetypal energies and inclinations. See, this is why us eating from the tree was not a good idea because good and evil always have to be at an equal opportunity. There's a whole drop about the clipot and, uh, you know, all of the accusers that are in the, the higher worlds, which, by the way, is another thing that we have to start paying attention to is the higher worlds. Like what's the source of our thoughts? What's the source of our emotions and work on rectifying things up there, which happened through Torah, by the way. Anyway, uh, so a little side swerve. But there has to be at every moment in time equal amount of influence for a person to do good as there is for evil. And this is represented by are we going to listen to the voice of the great shepherd or are we going to listen to the voice of the stranger? This is why it's either Mashiach or it's the Nakash. So which one are you going to go with? So that all plays out on Rosh Hashanah because that was the time when this happened. So I gave you some how to's. And I just want to quote this again because this was just so uh, important. Is that from the wellsprings of Torah on Rosh Hashanah, Torah wellsprings, Slika, it says the Arve Nahal explains that the shofar has the potential to break down iron walls that separate us from our Father in Hashemayim. Let that be what it's going to be right there, okay? You think you're so far from Hashem. Hashem can't hear your prayers, right? You need to sound the shofar. This is why Rosh Hashanah is such a beautiful big time because we shatter walls with the shofar blast. It says, technically, with this mitzvah, we should have merited the geula long ago. It hasn't happened. It hasn't happened yet. Why not? The answer is the shofar functions only together with tears. Okay? So this is why, again, I always say bring up the things that hurt you. Bring up the things that are painful for you. And as the shofar is being sounded, cry out. And may Hashem allow us to merit the redemption. So a couple other quick little practical takeaways on Rosh Hashanah for the two days. It says, I put in my notes, manja, manja, which means eat, eat. It's Italian. It says, we eat festive meals every night and day of the holiday. You know, so that's two meals uh, after Ma'ariv, and that's two meals at some point before Minka. Right? So... You got your daytime meal and your nighttime meal sometime before, you know, you end the day. You want to eat and then sometime as the day begins, which is at night, you want to eat, which shouldn't be a problem. I know it's not a problem for me, but just want to point that out. So how many meals is that going to be? You guessed it. Four meals. You can probably eat more. I'll try to squeeze some more in there, obviously, for myself. But you'll definitely have four meals that you want to go for. And by the way, that would correspond to the four cups of the Seder. So think about your Pesach Seder as you're partaking of your meals for Rosh Hashanah. And it says, like all other 
holidays meals, we begin by reciting Kiddush over wine and then say the blessing over the bread. The Seder comes between the Kiddush and hand washing. So again, that's where uh, this custom has you do the Seder before you do the hand washing. But, you know, either way, as long as you do the Seder, that's cool. You may not do the Seder, but as long as you do Kiddush, that's what you're supposed to do. Okay, and it says on both nights of Rosh Hashanah, a number of foods are eaten to symbolize our prayers and our hopes for a sweet new year. You are what you eat, right? So let's eat some stuff that we're praying about and that we really want to manifest. So as many of these foods were specifically chosen because of their Hebrew names. So Talmud Karatut 6a, the, the uh, Beni Shai is going to bring something down now because that other part uh, about the symbol symbolic foods and the Hebrew names. That was Karitut 6a. So Beni Shai says uh, there is a Seder the Beni Shai has where you traditionally have the the hollow loaves baked into round loaves and often sprinkled with raisins. It says, so this challah is dipped into honey instead of salt, expressing our wish for a sweet year. We do this on Rosh Hashanah, Shabbat Shuva, which is the Shabbat before Yom Kippur, and the pre-Yom Kippur meal and during Sukkot. So Rosh Hashanah is like the be the beginning of a whole bunch of sweetness. So we really want to take advantage of that. So if we go with the Benish Kai with the round hollow loaves, which kind of look like crowns, by the way, you're going to cast your crowns before Hashem. And you have this whole idea that the word Devash, which is Dalit Vet Sheen, if you spell it backwards, you have Shuv Dalit, return to the four, return to the door. And so, again, we have our four cups on Pesach. And so we return to the place of redemption. We return to the door. Okay. And then, so you're casting your crown there, right? So you have Rosh Hashanah, you got Shabbat Shuvah, you got the pre-Yom Kippur meal, and you got during Sukkot. So on these festive times, you're going to dip your challah into honey instead of salt okay and then we have uh rabbi trugman here with some more things uh he says for those who have eyes to see god is sending us signs and omens all the time yet it all depends on how we interpret those signs and act upon them like the sages teach us a dream follows its interpretation Meaning that how we interpret a dream will determine in great measure its outcome. In this sense, life is like a dream. This is why it's talked about in Shir HaMalot that when we return from the exile, we would be like dreamers. So this life is like a dream. So let's make the most of it, right? It will unfold according to how we choose to interpret the events and signs that come our way. So likewise, when we eat, when we're eating these symbolic foods, at their very inception of a new year teaches us to be aware, alert, and open to seeing God's divine providence and even the most mundane of actions and experiences. Okay. So just a little quick checklist on your Rosh Hashanah shopping. 
get some dates, some small light colored beans, some leeks, some beets, some a gourd, a pomegranate, an apple, and a head of a ram or fish, or like I said earlier, some cabbage or lettuce. Um, and then after chanting the kiddish, you want to do uh, the washing and the breaking of the bread. <clears throat> and on the second night of Rosh Hashanah, if you can, you want to eat a new fruit that you haven't had yet. So now you're going to bring in an element of Tube Shavat, Tuba Shavat, which is the 15th of the Hebrew month Shavat, which is a new year of the trees, which we have a Seder over there. There's a Seder over there, a Seder over here, a Seder everywhere. Okay, and so we got our greetings, we got our Makzur. On Rosh Hashanah, the first day, we read about Yitzhak's birth, and on the second morning, we read about the Akedah. So that's interesting. The birth and the death of the picture of Mashiach is crazy. Uh, and then when Yitzhak's birth is being read, we also read about the banishment of Hagar and Ishmael. The Haftarah is about the birth of Shamuel. So the birth of Shamuel, the birth of Yitzhak, the banishing of Hagar and Ishmael. Okay. And then on the second, okay, I was trying to read that all together, but the first day we read about Yitzhak's birth, the banishing of Hagar and Ishmael, and then the Haftarah we read about the birth of Shamuel. So just kind of paralleling these births here, you got Shamuel and Yitzhak. And focusing on their births, we also focus on getting the banishment of Hagar and Ishmael. Which the reason why they were banished is because they were not following the mitzvot. They were, so to speak, spewn out, if you will, of the mouth. Okay, and it says there's a common theme in these readings. Prayers for children were answered and both births took place on Rosh Hashanah. Okay, and so we got the second morning. We read about Abraham's uh, sacrificing of Yitzhak, i.e. the Akedah. It's a powerful display of Abraham's devotion to Hashem and was characterized his children ever since. So we learn about really embodying our devotion to Hashem on the second day. And then it says, uh, the shofar blowing recalls the ram, which, pre which figures prominently in the story. The Haftarah tells of God's eternal love for his people, which is so interesting because when you look at the Akitah of Yeshua, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, i.e. he made his son in Akitah. Which only begotten son and love are first used in Genesis 22, which is the story of the Akedah. Now, the third of Tishrei is a fast day. So we're going to come out of a whole lot of feasting and joy to have the following day with the beginning of dawn of the third of Tishrei. We'll have a fast. Now, it's important to note some people may or not may or may not be doing this so we do not shame people we do not oh it's a fast day what's wrong with you you silly pagan like you all hyped up on honey and holla and you forgot to fast and it's like we don't do that some people may or may not be partaking of this fast a lot of people will probably be going back to work that day so there's a whole lot going on but why the fast on the third of tishrei first you should know 
here's the drop on the fast of Gedalia, which is called Zom, which is the word for fast, Gedalia. says, after the Babylonians destroyed the Beit HaMikdash in Yerushalayim, first temple, and exiled many Jews in 423 BCE, they appointed, so Babylonian appoint, appointed leader, Gedalia ben Ahikam, as the governor of the remaining Jews in Eretz Yisrael, the Holy Land. Tragically, he was assassinated on Rosh Hashanah. So what's interesting about this fast is this is going to be on the third day, like the day that Yeshua was resurrected. So Gedalia was assassinated on the first of Tishrei. But yeah, we're not going to observe anything about him until the third of Tishrei. So these implications that you have towards the resurrection of a Shiach are crazy. But needless to say, it says he was so in, in memory of Gedalia's death and its disastrous aftermath. We fast every year on the third of Tishrei, the day after Rosh Hashanah. If the third day of Tishrei falls out on Shabbat, the fast is postponed. That's right. Says during morning services is customary to add special slikot, which are the penitential prayers. During both morning and afternoon, the Torah is taken out and we read the portion from Shemot 32, 11 through 14 and 34, 1 through 10. Parsha Kitisa, basically renewal of the covenant. In which God forgives Israel for the sin of the golden calf. And it says, during the afternoon prayers, we also read Haftarah from Yeshayahu 55, 6 through 56, 8. So, and it's also mentioned in Zechariah 8, 19. Zom Gedalia is one of the four fasts that will be converted to joy and feasting with the arrival of Mashiach. May it be soon in our days. Amen. So, the ending is the first of the the first of the month, Rosh Hashanah. It says, which is a day of judgment, is applicable both to repentant sinners and to those who do not repent. It's applicable to both repentant sinners and those who do not repent. However, Yom Kippur and its benefits apply only to those who have repented. Whenever you find the word now in the Torah, it refers to repentance, which is teshuva. That's from Bereshit Rabbah 21. So with that being said, may you have a beautiful and blessed preparation week to enter into Rosh Hashanah. Bezrat Hashem, this information was helpful for you. And again, I apologize on the mix-up of the Atbash uh, 110 corresponding to Yom Teruah. But may Hashem completely grant you a beautiful and inscribed ceiling in the Book of Life for the Olam Haba and for the new year. And may he reveal Mashiach ben David and the final redemption speedily in our days. Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. 
Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher natan lanu Torah temet, Vekaye olam natabetocheinu, Baruch atah Adonai, Noten ha Torah, Amen.